Abide with me, crown him with many crowns, hark the herald angels sing. Have you ever wondered why our beloved hymns were written? The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for February is Eternal Anthems, the story behind your favorite hymns, Volume 2. Learn more at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. This new resource includes background on 50 hymns, Eternal Anthems, the story behind your favorite hymns, Volume 2. Tolerance is one of those buzzwords that, well, can Christians even use it anymore? Yes, they can. And they can actually practice it. Not the kind of tolerance that we see in the world around us that in the end becomes extremely intolerant, even while it somehow maintains that there are no absolute truths. But true Christian tolerance is what Christians can not only say, but also do. Welcome back to Issues Etc. Joining us to talk about the new tolerance ethic Dr. John Bombaro, Director of Theological Education for Eurasia for the Office of International Mission of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. He's author of a recent column titled True Tolerance. John, welcome back. Thanks a lot, Todd. It's good to be with you again. Tell us about an insight that you recently gleaned from a book called The Intolerance of Tolerance. Yeah, it's authored by D.A. Carson. He is a Cambridge PhD, well-known in the domain of biblical commentaries, very learned man. And he's a man of words. He's a wordsmith himself. And he had noted that there was a shift in the definition of the word tolerance that had changed. He was looking at the Internet Dictionary in Carta, and he saw that the definition went from the ability or willingness to accept something, in particular the existence of opinions or behaviors that one does not necessarily agree with, to a new definition that said it was the accepting of any and all other existing opinions or behaviors as equally valid. So this new definition of tolerance suggested that actually accepting another's position means believing that position to be as equally true as your own. So indeed, since writing that book and posting his critique, the definition on Encarta and other places has changed several times since, which goes to show that there has been a slipping and unmooring of the common language and values of things even pertaining to what constitutes tolerance. What are philosophical pluralism and relativism? These are both important terms for understanding our curtain, intellectual and social milieu. Philosophical pluralism is nothing more really than the empirical fact that there are many positions. To understand something is pluralistic is to say that there's many. So we recognize and look around us and see that there are many positions concerning religion, concerning mores, behaviors, policies. We hear this debate all the time in the news and we encounter it even in the workplace. Philosophical relativism says that the many positions are relative to the individual's perspective and or community and have no claim on objectivity, particularly objective truth. So relativism is much more slippery in terms of philosophical understanding, where one says, yes, indeed, there are many positions and that's recognized, which I would say is the true basis of tolerance. The other says that 
they're all relative in terms of the value that they hold or the cachet with respect to truth itself. And so it plays out something like this. We would say, uh, relatively speaking, all religions are basically the same, mere human endeavors with a cultural ethnic twist that gives them their own distinctive flavors. And that these things are really anthropological phenomenons. It's the religious things that people do and believe rather than being grounded in some kind of epistemic truth, a knowing that comes from truth itself. And, and so these two things are really important for the way that we talk about learning when we share ideas and when we communicate. I think that C.S. Lewis saw this shift not only in tolerance, but in language itself coming about 75 years ago in his book, The Abolition of Man. And he saw that when you change the language, you change the meaning. And when you change the meaning, you change the significance. And when that happens, ideas have consequences. How are these ideas of philosophical pluralism and relativism used to exclude Christianity from the public square? Well, changing the definition of tolerance, I think, is part and parcel of the redefinition of any of a number of established institutions, including family, marriage, and as Matt Walsh has famously pointed out, even what is a woman or a man. These changes have, again, consequences. And I think it's all meant to marginalize, particularly Christianity's its hold on truth, its proclamation of the truth, and to call Christianity into conformity with the prevailing ethical paradigm which would be separate from any sort of objective mooring, namely that we have heard directly from the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, uh, the one who prays to the Father, Father, sanctify them by thy truth, thy word is truth. So when Christianity is cut off from that, or if it's relativized to any and all other religions as a mere anthropological phenomenon, then it becomes just mere religion, and it no longer has a corner on epistemic truth. It's no longer bringing people to the truth, not only about themselves, but the world around us, and of course, God himself. So the truth question, that is the pursuit and assertion of truth, has already been ruled inappropriate by the new tolerance ethics, and it's been designated as only being okay in the realm of religious beliefs that one keeps to themselves. It no longer is really welcome in the public domain. And if there are going to be religious beliefs, if they're going to be assertions, then they have to be affirmations. So the new tolerance ethics seems to operate as Michel Foucault had, who was a, a famous philosopher now deceased. He had said that we had shifted away from a disciplinary society that operated with modalities of negativity. There were boundaries, there were limitations, there were borders. We used the term no and don't, can't, won't, shouldn't. And these things factored into ethics themselves. But in the new tolerance ethics, it's only affirmations. And so we're in a society of, of achievement, an achievement society in which the only affirmations are yes and can. Yes, we can. Yes, you can. And without that limitation, without the truth that God has given us yes and God has given us no, then ethics have no boundaries whatsoever, and we wind up losing the value of human discourse with one another. 
With that said, what is the new tolerance ethic? How would you describe it? Well, the first thing to say is that it's post-Christian, but it's also post-rational, which is what I think it also means to be post-modern. So modernity was operating on human reason, going back to Immanuel Kant writing his book about the critique of pure reason, that if humanity would just exercise pure reason, we would all be able to use our reasonable faculties and come to the same conclusions with all of that has been exploded. And we're past modernity in that respect, and we're past or post-rational. I think the new ethic is founded on the volatile and non-transferable platform of human emotion. It's purely visceral feelings and sentiment, which are themselves inscrutable. I cannot scrutinize or critique the way that you feel about a thing because it is authentically you. But the question is, can we have any conversation about it? When you articulate the way that you're feeling, is it just pure autobiography, or are we now engaged in something that can constitute a community? I think we all know the answer to that. It's just autobiography. So it turns out to be a real conversation stopper. When ethics is based upon just mere human emotion, then we're no longer engaged in the pursuit of things that are communal. And I think this is why we see so much emotional incontinence today. When people are unable to articulate a point, unable to express what they truly mean with words that have cachet in terms of an enduring meaning, much less tap into that shared meaning and values. Instead, they go simply shrill. And that's what I mean by emotional incontinence. So I think in this way, the new tolerance ethics works by bullying, by coercion, and by way of embarrassment of the other through spectacle or castigation or alienation. I think we see this all around us. So how does this bear on Christianity? Well, it says that in terms of Christianity, the only domain for that negativity that I spoke of, God's no, right? No, a man can't be a woman. No, a woman can't be a man. No, a man cannot be a mother. And no, a mother cannot be a father, et cetera, et cetera. And that the God-given domain for human flourishing is the heterosexual family. Other contexts meet with no or the disapprobation of God, and we've seen this play out in society. In the new tolerance ethics that works by this bullying or coercion, the only place for this, the truths of Christianity turn out to be personal or private spirituality. There's no place for truth in the public marketplace of ideas. And so, you keep it to yourself, and we privatize religion, which is also one of the reasons why I think we see people falling off from church attendance is that, well, you can just be a self-eater at home, and when you're disassociated from the public church, well, then there's no scrutiny there, and you're not subject to persecution or having to engage or defend these ideas. Dr. John Bombaro is our guest. We're talking about the new tolerance ethic. So given what we said, What do faith and belief mean today? Several Issues Etc. regular guests are candidates for leadership positions in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Every LCMS congregation has received nomination forms for the President and Vice Presidents of Synod. 
please encourage your pastor and congregational leaders to fill out and return these nomination forms before February 28th of 2023. Learn more at issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations. issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations. I'm Chaplain Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Congregations work hard to keep the Word of Christ dwelling richly in His disciples now and into eternal life. We work to help and support that effort. Learn more at lcms.org worship. You'll find resources on the church here, Bible studies on the hymns of the day, audio helps for learning to sing our services, and look for worship planning resources to find the latest from LCMS Worship. That's lcms.org worship. May the word of Christ dwell richly in you. Did you know that Luther Academy has been providing continuing education for confessional Lutheran pastors and lay people worldwide for more than 20 years? Luther Academy promotes confessional Lutheran theology through conferences, scholarly exchanges, and publications like Logia, the Confessional Lutheran Dogmatic Series, and Luther Digest. Find out more about Luther Academy and sign up for their free email newsletter at lutheracademy.com. lutheracademy.com. Memoria Press award-winning Latin programs have successfully taught hundreds of thousands of students across the world. Their easy-to-use, step-by-step Latin curriculum provides students with an academic vocabulary, a mastery of English grammar, and strong critical thinking skills. If you're interested in learning more, visit memoriapress.com and save $5 on your next purchase by using the coupon code LPR23. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. Contending for truth in an age of anti-truth. You're listening to Issues Etc. Our school is committed to authentic Lutheranism, the entire Book of Concord, and indeed to authentic Lutheranism as it has continued to be confessed and practiced through the centuries right up into our own time. Dr. Cameron McKenzie, Chairman of the Department of Historical Theology at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. We're committed then to biblical, confessional Christianity and Lutheranism and applying it to the world of today in as effective a way as we can. You can find out more about studying for the pastoral ministry at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, at ctsfw.edu, ctsfw.edu, or call 1-800-481-2155. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Issues Etc., a book of the month for February is Eternal Anthems, the story behind your favorite hymns, volume two from Concordia Publishing House. Here's what it has to say about the great hymn at the Lamb's High Feast we sing. This hymn reflects the ancient Christian observance of the catechumenate. After a period of catechesis, converts joined the church in the waning darkness of Easter dawn. Following baptism, the neophytes were clothed with clean white garments, representing their newfound righteousness in Christ, and were ushered in the earliest hours of the morning, to the assembly of believers to receive the Eucharist. That's just a little bit of what you'll discover as you read Eternal Anthems, the story behind your favorite hymns, Volume 2. Call Concordia Publishing House and order it, 1-800-325-3040, or browse before you buy at our website, issuesetc.org.
Dr. John Bombaro is our guest. We're talking about the new tolerance ethic. John, what do faith and belief mean in today's context? Yeah, in the article, which I gave in the original title, another politically incorrect article, because when we talk about things like belief and faith, we're supposed to conform to the new definitions of belief and faith, which I've said have suffered a near-fatal downgrade. It used to be, philosophically and religiously speaking, to use the term belief was like a really robust and strong word. I think I used the example about Napoleon who had visited Wittenberg. I could say, I believe Napoleon visited Wittenberg and say that with a degree of confidence. Why? Because it was based upon a fact-based narrative. Napoleon actually did visit uh, Wittenberg during one of his campaigns, and the mementos of that are given to us in historiography and material culture, etc. It stood, as it were, as part of the sturdy witness or testimony to say that one believed a particular thing. And it could even be scrutinized in the context of jurisprudence in the court of law. But now belief is this flimsy kind of hope, you know, sort of hedging against a straightforward contradiction. So now we use the term beliefs in this kind of weak-willed, wimpy way to say something like, I believe it's snowing outside. is isn't really to say too much with any kind of confidence anymore. So we're not putting a lot of stake into it. Likewise with the term faith. In Scripture, for instance, in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, the Scriptures say that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, this term assurance is important. It's saying there's an antecedent upon which this faith, this confidence, this trusting rests. And what is that assurance? That the promise-making God has established himself to be the promise-keeping God in and through the person and work of Jesus of Nazareth. That Jesus Christ has made all the promises of God, yes and amen. Well, when we unhitch faith and belief from the real-world accomplishments of God and Christ, then we wind up with a redefinition and certainly a downgrading of belief and faith to these flimsy, weak-willed, anthropological terms like luck, you know, like good luck, best wishes with your faith kind of thing. But that's not the way that the scripture has used the terms. It's not the way that our holy faith has employed both belief and faith. Tell us about uh, Martin Luther's insight while he was debating Erasmus on Christian assertions. Yeah, so this takes place when Luther and Erasmus are debating concerning the will and the human will. And Erasmus was a bit mealy-mouthed about this, and he didn't think that there was a place for assertions. And indeed, that Luther was being a bit dogmatic in that we have to sit loose on these things, be flexible about such definitions, and certainly when it comes to dogmatic statements. But Luther said no that the very hallmark of being a Christian is the way of assertion. And he had this Latin phrase that he used, spiritus sanctus non est skeptitus, that the Holy Spirit is not a skeptic, but rather the Holy Spirit makes assertions. It is by way of the Holy Spirit that we confess that, in fact, Jesus is the Christ. 
and that he was the one who made blood atonement upon the Holy Cross for our salvation, that indeed that he was resurrected bodily from the dead, and that this Jesus is in fact in charge. And what Luther was getting at is that these assertions, the confidence of the Christian is actually grounded in the doings of God in real human history. This isn't kind of pie-in-the-sky belief, this downgraded understanding of what belief and faith is all about. Rather, we have this antecedent. We have the assurance that God has established himself as, in fact, the promise-keeping God. Where do Christians find the courage to continue to herald Jesus as king and his truth as absolute? Well, I think just as Luther had noted from the illumination of the Holy Spirit. We received this Holy Spirit of Christ in the waters of holy baptism, and the Spirit makes assertions. The Spirit adjudicates between right and wrong, good and evil, falsehood and truth, yes and no. There is an establishment of that assertion that comes straight from God himself and is in our mouth. This is why the ancients and even the author of the Hebrews says that baptism is an enlightenment. We've come enlightened to the truth, the reality of these things. And I think that the other thing, too, is what I just mentioned, and that is the fact of Christ and the events surrounding his life. So, so we can have courage when we know that we're standing on a great history and a great body of witnesses, but not only a great body of witnesses, but also the vermicillitudes of evidences that corroborate the truth of Holy Scripture that we find in material cultures and in the documentary evidence testifying to Jesus of Nazareth. So these two things are so critically important. The fact of Christ melded to real human history and real human locations and real people that even persist with us to this very day. It wasn't like Jesus was crucified in a remote part of the galaxy a long, long time ago. It was outside the walls of Jerusalem during the reign of Tiberius Caesar, and it just so happened to be the most public figure, engaging the most public figures in the most public form at a most public time during one of the great Jewish festivals. So we can have courage because we have the spirit of truth within us and we are trading in the truth itself. Dr. John Bombaro is our guest in our conversation on the new tolerance ethic. Given those truth claims, we'll compare the two historic rivals, Christianity and Islam, when we get back. Hey everyone, I'm so excited to come out to the 2023 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference, it's going to be a blast. Kyle Mann of the Babylon Bee. I'm going to be giving a presentation called Making the Case Against Cancel Culture, where I talk about how we write comedy and how Christians need to use art and writing and all of that wonderful stuff to fight against cancel culture and how we have to take a bold stand for the truth using the creative talents that God has given us. It's going to be a great time and I'm so excited to come out and see everybody, meet everybody, and, uh, and talk a little bit about how we write satire and use that to communicate God's truth. You can meet and hear Kyle Mann of the Babylon Bee at the 2023 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference, Friday, June 16th and Saturday, June 17th at Concordia University, Chicago. Learn more at issuesetc.org 
or by giving us a call, 618-223-8385. Making the case June 16th and 17th in River Forest, Illinois. Lutheranism in the Public Square. You're listening to Issues Etc. Save the date. The 2023 Lutherans for Life National Conference is October 11th through 13th at the Holiday Inn Cincinnati Airport in Erlanger, Kentucky, with visits to the Ark Encounter and Creation Museum. Look for more information in early 2023 at lutheransforlife.org conference. Lutherans for Life, equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life. lutheransforlife.org Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial-A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial-A Podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. We're talking with Dr. John Bombaro, Director of Theological Education for Eurasia for the Office of International Mission of the Lutheran Church, Missouri, Senate and author of a recent column titled True Tolerance about the New Tolerance Ethic. If you would, by way of illustration, compare the truth claims of these two historic rival world religions, Christianity and Islam. Yeah, so I think we have this disparity between Islam and Christianity, that Christianity is going to find itself melded in real human history. Not that Islam is not a historical phenomenon, but the originating claims, the very content, the core of the religion itself is detached from it. So, I mean, if we just take an analysis of, for instance, the scriptures themselves, the holy scriptures of Christianity span millennia with scores of authors all corroborating and agreeing on the same basic narrative and engaging uh, the one and only true and living God who has as his imprimatur Israel herself. This is the hallmark of God. This is how we know that we're dealing with the real true and living creator, the world that is doing and is all in and through this particular people. And he has remained consistent that not only in terms of the historical events, but prophecy. And then these prophecies all come to fruition as Jesus himself, as the king of Israel, embodies Israel and takes her history to its climax and then yields the Holy Christian Church, reconstituting Israel in and around himself so that it now consists of both Jews and Gentiles. And all of this being played out very publicly in human history, and that the authors themselves are all bound up in this historical unfolding narrative. Not so with Muhammad. In Muhammad, what we find is one Gnostic who by himself is receiving uncorroborated revelations and that these things were written down, not hard upon the events themselves, such that we get with the writings of St. Paul within 18 years of the resurrection of Jesus, employing creeds and quotes and even hymnody within two years, as uh, the late Cambridge scholar Graham Stanton has testified, within two years of the resurrection itself. No, we have to wait 
centuries in order to get the contents of the Quran and uh, the life of Muhammad. So the two wind up being really incomparable. One giving us very much a Gnostic religion that cannot be corroborated by real historical events and artifacts, and the other in which you get even the claim of St. Paul saying that these things were not done in a corner. Indeed, even God himself pleading, come, let us reason together, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. These things for Christianity play out in the real-time space dimension in which we live, not in the fantasy of our mind, and certainly not in religious fervor. You say that not all ideas are created equal, so and that's an excellent illustration of it. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean that ideas have consequences, as I said before. Not all ideas are equal because there is such thing as truth and there's such thing as falsehood. And these things play out even today. I mean, our whole principle of the jurisprudence system, which we have engaged today, is based upon witness and testimony. That accusations or assertions that are made must be corroborated with eyewitness testimony or with other evidences that corroborate such assertions or accusations. Christianity does this, and it does it in spades. And this is what sets Christianity apart from any and all other religions, is that we can even today go to the land of the Jews, to Israel, to indeed even the capital city itself, and we can even go into the locations in which the great events of Jesus of Nazareth took place. All of that is still with us to this day, unlike, for instance, in the Book of Mormon, where we cannot find Bountiful in these other locations. There's simply no geographical location that corresponds with it, much less the flora and fauna such that appears in the Book of Mormon just does not comport to real human history. And so... <laughs> Not all ideas are created equal, because some ideas are a result of real, factual phenomenon, and others are conjured up in the human imagination. Christianity was not. This is why we herald good news. We're heralding the news about something that happened. Not good advice, not good morals, not a good idea but something that actually happened in real human history when God came and represented humanity as one of us, uh, collectively as the world's rightful king, bearing our sins to take them away, making a blood atonement on the cross and rising again, fully vindicated because he is, in fact, the world's rightful king. That is the news that we herald. And it also has the performative power to actually change and regenerate human souls. What does a Christian do? Offer, if you would, some pastoral counsel on what a Christian should do if they encounter this intolerant tolerance in their workplace or among their friends or wherever they might find it, and they find themselves simply trying to speak Christian truth and being shouted down or called a bigot. We're touching on what motivates the Christian, what what would be upsetting about it for Christians. And I would say that because we're principled people, because the truth matters, because ideas have consequences, and that we're trading in something that has happened. Jesus just doesn't happen to be my favorite religious personality. He is, in fact, the Lord of life. 
He is the one who has conquered death. And I must comport to the objective reality that is Jesus Christ, heralding in the Holy Gospel the same Christ whose blood is present in the waters of holy baptism, the one who gives us his body and blood in the Eucharist. I conform to that objective reality. And so we're motivated that way. But we're also being given the spirit of Christ. And we're driven by love. And, and so it's really gospel graces and not so much the law that motivates us to engage with others and to take a principled stand for the truth. What I would say is that whenever we do so, we should be prepared that it may have consequences upon us. I've recently been in correspondence with a young lady in San Diego whose workplace is requiring her participation in transgender surgeries, which she finds neither true nor right nor good. And she understands that this is going to inevitably come with particular consequences, but she's bearing witness to the truth, not only out of her own principled holdings, but for the good of others. And that's where that divine love, the love for one's neighbor as oneself, is a motivating factor. I would also say this, that whenever we are engaged, that we should try to remain above reproach, yet still operating within the parameters of law which gives us certain right privileges and protection. And to make use of that where we cannot avail by speaking the truth and love as Ephesians 4 encourages us to do. So Christians, I would say, remain steadfast and hold to the truth. And remember what Luther had said, that the Holy Spirit is not a skeptic, that the way of being a Christian is in fact the way of assertion. And we assert the truth about Christ. We assert the truth about the implications of the Holy Gospel but also we do so with the bearing of the third use of the law upon us, that we're going to speak the truth in love and with deference to the neighbor, which does not mean compromise, because perhaps the very best way for us to love our neighbor is actually to speak the truth to them. That, in the end, turns out to be true tolerance. Dr. John Bombaro is Director of Theological Education for Eurasia for the Office of International Mission of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. He's author of a recent column titled True Tolerance. You can read it at issuesetc.org. Click Talk on Demand Archives. John, thank you very much. It's always a privilege, Todd. Thank you. Friday on Issues Etc., it's This Week in Pop Christianity with Chris Rosebro of Fighting for the Faith. And we'll talk with Brian Brown of the National Organization for Marriage about President Biden's remarks on the Equality Act in his State of the Union address. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc., is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. Do you want a church with a rockin' band and a sermon series to help you live a better life? It's not here. Bethany Evangelical Lutheran Church in Fairview Heights offers authentic, historic Christianity to a world awash in fads and entertainment. 
and offers forgiveness of sins to people overwhelmed with guilt and shame. Join us Sundays at 9.30 on Old Collinsville Road in Fairview Heights, Illinois, to receive the life-giving gifts of God with us. Find out more online at BethanyLCMS.org. I am beautiful because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am accepted because I'm a part of His family through Jesus' shed blood. Unity Lutheran School in East St. Louis, Illinois, shines the light of Christ in one of the most impoverished cities in America. Learn how to support their mission work at unityesl.org. Unityesl.org. Today, with the help of the Holy Spirit, I say yes to God in His ways.